welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. one of the pastors here, if, if you're new with us today. And uh, a couple things today, um, I just want to kind of let you guys know about. One, this is our second week in this new location. This is temporary. So if you've seen like the videos, if you've seen the, um, the, the Facebook posts, social media, all that stuff, the email, like this is just a temporary location for us. They're doing renovations in Jarvis um, for the next four to six weeks but we'll be back there. And some people have been asking me, well, well why this, this is a different space? It's, it's, there's some nicer things about it. Well, it's because our heart is in that community. And we're not a church that is about the Sunday morning gathering, and that's it. This is one piece of who we are. Uh, we, throughout the week, we want to engage in St. Jamestown. We want to bless our city. We want to be salt. We want to be light. We want to push our city forward. We want to work with our city. And, and so our goal and our plan is when they're done with the renovations in hopefully now three weeks, we'll be back at Jarvis. So hopefully this is temporary and it's only three weeks. You guys know how renovations go. So we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what happens. But a couple other things Michelle was talking about. There's so many other things going on. And so let me just tell you some of those things. One... We are, we're almost, so we're looking at a space in St. Jamestown. I've talked about this before. It's 225 Wellesley Street, and, and it is, it's a purely local engagement space. So it's not a worship space. It's not an office space. It is purely to engage the community, be, be present in the community, and work with organizations in the community. So that is almost a done deal. And when I say almost, like it is, it's really, really, really close. It's the closest we've ever been to having it done. So we've, we've signed things. Like it's, it should be done next week. And that's really exciting. And that's a huge step of faith for us because we're not, um, like everything is just a huge step of faith. We've never done anything like this before. We don't know exactly how much it's going to cost. We don't know exactly what we're going to do. We have all these ideas and plans and dreams, and we have a vision for it, but we don't know exact things. So it's almost like we're just kind of stepping out and we're going to watch God work. Um, there's a couple other things that, that we do. Um, we're, we support a couple church plants. We support missionaries. Uh, if you guys remember Minsu, um, who, who is now in Vancouver, he works with an organization called Journey, that, and we support him. Uh, there's, so there's so much stuff that's, that's going on that God is doing, and this is just one of those things. There's so many things that happen outside of here that, that uh, God, is, God is doing and he's moving us towards, and all this is a part of awakening. All this is a part of awakening for our church. And, and so when you think of, when Michelle was talking about serving, when you think about serving, don't just think about this time. Think about all the, there's so many other things that we do outside. If you want to know more about that, talk to, talk to me, talk to Adam, talk to, you can talk to any one of our, our leaders. 
Um, one more thing, in a couple weeks, actually, we'll be going to the West Bank. So we're going to be doing global, uh, we're going to really start our global work in the West Bank. And we've already started it, um, but now we're going to put, put feet on the ground and we're going to look at domain engagement in the West Bank. And if you don't know where the West Bank is, I've talked to a few people who are like, well, where, what is that? Where is that? Just Google it. Um, you should know. We should know as a church. Uh, we should know what, what area of the world that is and, and why it's necessary that uh, we're engaging there and why God is calling us there. So, um, yeah, and if you're interested in that, just let me know. Okay, so like I said, all this is a part of awakening. This is a series we're in, scriptural, spiritual awakening, scriptural, the Word of God, spiritual, the Spirit of God, into awakening. And the Word and the Spirit need to cooperate together if we're going to experience awakening. And we've been talking about that all through the book of Daniel. And so this week we're doing Daniel chapter 5. Next week we'll finish up this series in Daniel chapter 6. Then we'll go into a new series. And this whole year, the theme is going to be uh, awakening. It's going to be behind every series we do. Uh, we do Because we're talking about, I'm going to take you guys hopefully on a journey this year that takes us deeper into spiritual theology and the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And so we started with Daniel. We'll go into the Sermon on the Mount next, talk about spiritual disciplines and, and how we live as kingdom citizens. Next, we'll go into spiritual gifts and how we, how we use our gifts, what are the gifts, um, what are your gifts. And then we'll go into spiritual warfare and finish out the year, year in Ephesians and talk about spiritual warfare and what it means that once... Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. It'll be really cool. So that's the entire year. So this is kind of setting the stage for that. Okay, that's just, I wanted to give you guys a big overview of, of what's going on. Let's jump into this. So <clears throat> uh, about well, four years ago, for our 10-year anniversary, um, Missy and I went to St. Lucia. This is uh, an island in the Caribbean, and Beautiful place. I would recommend that. I've been to other places in the Caribbean, but this is, it's, they say it's like the Hawaii of the Caribbean because it has volcanoes and, and stuff like that, or uh, not active ones, dormant or inactive. Inactive. So we went there about 10, uh, or for our 10th year anniversary, about four years ago, and it was awesome. It was really relaxing. It was, it was just, it was good to be in like island culture. And we took this tour on the speedboat, like this really awesome speedboat around the island. And it took you all around the island and pointed things out. And, and the whole time, they're like, they're, they're putting drinks in our hands. And they're like, hey, yeah, here's some juice. Here's some, here's some rum juice. Here's some beer. Here's some this. And everyone's all, everyone's like having a fun time partying as it's going around the island. And, and they're pumping this, like, 80s rap music, right? Like, it's 80s and 90s rap. So it's like, it's, it was just really fun. And we're on the speedboat, and it's just, like, going, going crazy. And, and so we're, they take us to the, to the volcanic area. We're doing, like, this, this mud bath thing. We're doing this. Uh, they took us to a waterfall. We're doing this thing. And we're circling around the island. They take us into these harbors, all this stuff. So towards the end of the trip... Because of all the drinks that they're giving us, I had to go to the bathroom really bad. And there's, there's, nowhere, there's nowhere to go. And so we're on the boat. We're going back to, to, uh, to, they're going back to drop us off. And they pull into this harbor. And it's, this rich, it's where all the rich people live. And they're showing it out. And, and so they slow down the boat. And they're going, and I'm like, 
I really have to go. Like, they need to get the boat back. I, I never had to pee so bad in my entire life. And this may get a bit vulgar. So <laughs> I had to go really bad. And I'm telling Misty, I'm like, I mean, I'm, I'm like, every muscle in my body is tense because I'm doing all I can to hold it in. And, and I mean, I'm 30, what, how, how, I mean, we're like, this is four years, so I'm 33 years old, like, I shouldn't have this problem, right? And I'm crossing my legs, I can't do, do everything, and, and I'm like, hey, Missy, give me your towel, just in case, like, I pee right here. So, I, yeah, I have the towel in my lap, and, um, you know, they're talking, we're having fun, I'm like, ha, 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 yeah, this is fun, and... And um, they pull out the harbor, and, and I'm like, yes, we're back in the open ocean. They're going to go. And they stop, and there's this big lagoon. And they're like, hey, he, the guy makes a joke, and he's like, hey, you can go swim, or you can use it as a rest stop. You know, you can go, like, in the water and go to the bathroom, basically. Uh, and I'm like, there's my chance. <laughs> so I'm, like, pushing. I'm like, first one out, I jump in the water. And because I'm thinking, I only have a limited amount of time, right? I swear, the thing is, I don't know, this probably is 30 feet deep there. So I'm trying to wade, and I'm like, I'm trying to go to the bathroom. And I can't. Because everyone's around there, and everyone keeps on swimming past me, and I'm like, oh, I can't go. And then I couldn't go. And then he's like, all right, let's get back in the boat. And I'm like, oh, because it was like just about, I was just about to pee. So, so we get back in the boat, and they're speeding around the island. It's just like, you know, the waves, the boat is like crashing on the waves. And I'm like dying inside. I, I'm so surprised I didn't have a bladder infection or I wasn't like bleeding. Like, it was so bad. So we, we get to the dock, we get up there, and I'm trying to push out, but I can't even walk, guys. I can't even walk. It is so bad. Um, it's, funny, it's funny that Lauren's here, because this reminds me of Vietnam a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So, um, and, and so I, I go up to this, like, there's this little um, restaurant. And right, it's, it's not developed, it's not that developed, so it's a dirt road. So there's this little restaurant, and I go up the, to the lady who's in there, it's this open-air restaurant, and I was like, hey, do you guys have a washroom? She's like, it's broken. I was like, you can't be kidding me. Um, and I was like, uh, so I just walked off. And, and then I saw a shed. And I didn't, know where, I didn't know where anybody was. I had just gone, right? So I left Missy. I'm like, she can fend for herself. Um, and and uh, they had shuttles there waiting, like vans there waiting for it to take us. I'm like, oh, she can find one of those vans. It's fine. Uh, we knew what number was ours and all that. So I see this shed, and I go to the shed, and say the shed's right here, the restaurant's here, and I go on this side of the shed with my back toward the, toward the road, right? And the shed's right here. And I'm literally standing there peeing for five minutes. That's like not even a joke. Like, think about that five minutes, like standing there going to the bathroom. That's a long time. And because it was, <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm standing there and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is taking forever. And, and this is, yeah. So anyways, I finally get done. So I'm like this. I finally get done, I turn around and the van is right here, the doors are open, everyone's staring at me, and Missy's like this. She's just shaking her head. 
she is so embarrassed. Because <laughs> like the van parked right behind me. And I turned, I was like, whatever. I just get in the van, I was like, walk of shame. I get in the van, I'm like, I'm not gonna see these people ever again, who cares? Um, that's exactly, <laughs> see, see what, what I'm gonna do here. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're, wait, wait for it. So this is, this is exactly how we are sometimes when we're just so focused on our own issues. And we forget everything that's around us. And we're so myopically focused on one thing. We're, we're so focused on taking that burden and releasing it. We're so focused on, 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 on just getting rid of whatever it is. And we forget everything else around us. We don't even care, actually. We don't care what's happening around us because we're so focused on this one thing that we have to do or that's plaguing us or this circumstance or, or whatever it is. And it ends up controlling us so that we do things like this. Like, all I had to do was look around and see that the van was right there. All I had to do was say, okay, I shouldn't pee here because the van's there. Um, but it, I was so focused on that one thing that I forgot everything else. And when it comes to awakening, a lot of times, we close ourselves off because we're not interested in anything else that's going on. And we, we become so apathetic that we've, we've just closed ourselves off for the, from awakening, and we're just sitting in our issue. And we're just sitting in whatever it is, our issue, whatever, uh, whatever it is that's controlling us. And, and we forget about everything else that's going on. And so the bottom line today is this. This is different for me because normally I, I go like this. But um, the bottom line today is this. In order to open yourself up to awakening, you need to close yourself off to apathy. And in this passage, there's such an urgency in this passage that we're going to see. So we just came out of Daniel chapter 4 a couple weeks ago. This is Daniel chapter 5. And there's 30 years between the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. And in those 30 years, the kingdom... So remember in chapter 4, Daniel has... He's just interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. Nebuchadnezzar heard those dreams. Daniel's elevated in a very high position of authority. And... And Nebuchadnezzar then, then uh, so he honors Daniel, but then he, he says, it's all about me, basically. He says, I've done all this. This kingdom is mine. When that dream was, was Daniel saying, God's given this to you. So he says, it's all mine. He becomes like a beast of, of the field until he recognizes God and who God is and that God is the most high God. And Nebuchadnezzar has this awakening. And, and then he, he regains the kingdom in an even greater way. So that's the end of chapter 4. That's where we've left off. That's, and then there's 30 years, and the kingdom now is kind of in disarray. There's been four different rulers. The guy in this chapter, Belshazzar, he's technically the fifth ruler. His dad's still king, but this guy's the, the son of the king, and, and he's kind of a co-regent because his dad has, has self-exiled himself. And so now... Belshazzar is like the acting king. And so there's been five different rulers in just, in just 30 years, and the kingdom is all, all over the place. And we don't know where Daniel is, right? And that's how the, that's how the book opens, so, or that's how the chapter opens. And it begins like this. And, and here's one more thing. What, 
what we'll find out at the end of the passage that we don't know at the beginning of the passage is that Babylon is about to be conquered. Like literally, Persia is outside of the city walls. Because at the very end of this passage, Belshazzar gets killed this very night. So this all happens in this one night, and Belshazzar gets killed this night. And, and so literally, there's this whole urgency underlying the passage because Persia is right outside of the walls about to conquer Babylon. Okay, so keep that in mind. So verse 1, it says the king Belshazzar, he made a great feast. So I just said, like, there's an army about to conquer them, but this guy's feasting. So he makes a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the house. So all the leaders are there just feasting and partying. And they taste wine, which is like, it's kind of, a lot of scholars think it's a euphemism for he's, he's getting drunk. He's just, he's just getting drunk and he doesn't, it's like he doesn't care, right? This is the apathy I'm talking about. He just doesn't care. And he, and he does something even more foolish he commands that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, which it's interesting, and keep this in your mind until later, it's, it's interesting that this passage, in this passage, you'll see this six different times, that Nebuchadnezzar is referred to uh, as his father, which it's not actually his father. Um, remember, there's been five different rulers in between here and there. Uh, so we'll come back to that. So Nebuchadnezzar's father had taken out of, of the temple of Jerusalem, and, and so he has these vessels of gold and silver that, are, that have been dedicated to the Lord. They've been dedicated to God, and Belshazzar says, remember Belshazzar's name is, is after, a, after uh, one of the Babylonian gods. Uh, so he's, he's a follower of Bel, and, and so he takes these vessels, and he's like, Let's party out of these vessels. Let's drink wine out of them. Let's eat out of them. And, and let's, just, let's just do whatever we want with these vessels that have been dedicated to the Lord because they're from the house of God in Jerusalem. So they do that. And it says as they do that in verse 4, they praise the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So it was, they just uh, worshipped idols and... and, and um, they're just steeped in idolatry and partying and, and feasting. So many things, think about this in your own life. What are some things that maybe God's given you that are supposed to be dedicated to the Lord that you just use for your own purposes? That's what's happening here. There's these things that they've dedicated to the Lord. They're supposed to be used for God's purposes, but now the king is like, oh, we're going to do whatever we want with them. And there's so many things in, in our lives that we use wrongly because they're supposed to be God's. Like, we can talk about money. I won't talk about money, but that's one, that's one thing. That's a huge thing. Uh, for those of you guys who have kids in here, which is probably not very many of you, but for those of you guys who have kids, we often, God's given us our kids and we use them for, for other purposes. We don't use them for the Lord's purposes. And, and I can go on and on about that, but you'll hear about it if you come to the biblical parenting thing on Saturday. I'll probably go on and on about it there. So um, there's so many things in your life, your job, your, your resources, your your gifts and your passions, like these things that they're supposed to be dedicated to the Lord, but we're just, we're just partying with them. 
we're just feasting. We're just doing our own thing, and we lack urgency because we're stuck in apathy. And that's what's happening here. And immediately, in verse 5, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the, on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. This is one of the creepiest passages. I mean, think about, there's, there's a lot of crazy things that happen in, in, the, in the scriptures, right? But this is, like a horror, this is like a horror movie to me. It reminds me of The Shining or something. I've never seen The Shining. It reminds me of what I think about The Shining. <laughs> well, because in that movie, there's stuff that's written on the wall, right? Is that okay? No? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, like, it says fingers of a hand, a human hand, appear, and they write on the plaster of the wall. So all, all that we know that we see is fingers of a hand writing on a wall. Like, imagine if that just happened right here. Like, how many of you guys would freak out? Right? I mean, so they're partying, right? They're having a good time. And then all of a sudden, this happens. And look at the king's reaction in verse 6. His color changes. He's terrified. His thoughts alarmed him. That literally means that they frightened him. Like his own thoughts, he was scared of his own thoughts. It's like a cartoon. His limbs gave way. His knees start knocking together. Like he is, he's just out of his wits. He's, he's so frightened um, that he's seeing this hand writing on the wall. And so he calls loudly, and what does he do? He does what all the other, all the, uh, all the other uh, kings have done. They bring together the enchanters, the magicians, the Chaldeans, the astrologers, the, the diviners. They bring all of them together, and he declares to the wise men, whoever can read this and show me the interpretation, I'm going to do something awesome for you. I'm going to clothe you in purple with the chain of gold around your neck, and you should be the third ruler in the kingdom. There's a few, or there's two outrageous things in, in this promise that he gives. One, he's going to make that person the ruler under his dad and himself. Like, they're the next top ruler, the third ruler. The second outrageous thing is he's going to dress them up like Mr. T. A chain of gold around his neck and in purple. I guess uh, that was a good thing back then. So, um, but he's going to make him like the ruler of, of the kingdom. And that's because he's so frightened, right? And, well, I'll do that later. So, verse 8, then all the wise men come in, and guess what? They can't do it. We've seen this story before, right? We saw it in, in like the previous chapters. They can't do it. They can't interpret it. And now the king, in verse 9, becomes greatly alarmed. His color changes again, and even his lords are perplexed. And so then the inner the queen, technically it's the queen mother, so the queen mother comes in, and she breaks protocol. She comes in, she says, oh, king, live forever, because she hears something going on, right? And, and she says, oh, king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There's somebody who can do this. She says in verse 11, there's a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods, or is, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. This is the exact statement that Nebuchadnezzar said of Daniel in the previous chapter. So in Daniel chapter 4, I think verse 9, um, 
he says these exact words of Daniel. So he recognizes that the divine presence is with him, or a divine presence, right? They're, they're polytheistic, they're worshiping all these gods and, and idols, and, and so they, they recognize that there's something different about Daniel, that he's not like everybody else. And she says it's the spirit of the holy gods. And she says a few other things about him. She says, in the days of your father, in verse 11, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods are found in. Then, then she goes on down in verse 12, and she says, an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding. He had all these things. Because these are attributes of awakening. And they recognize this in Daniel, that he has these certain attributes that are, that are representative of the divine presence, and, and that there that he is awakened that there's something different about him what do you what do you think people see in you when when they encounter you like daniel just walks into the room right he just he's going to walk in the room next and they're going to see these things in him what do pe- how do people look at the church how they look at our church. What do they see in us when they see us, when they're in our presence? Do they sense the divine presence? Do they sense something different about you? For, for most of us, instead of light, it might be darkness. Instead of understanding, it's foolishness or ignorance instead of wisdom. You know, she says, there's an excellent spirit in him. When people encounter you, would they say that about you? Would they say there's an excellent spirit in you? Would they say, man, all I sense is is a spirit of skepticism or or pessimism, or all I sense is a spirit of of failure and and lack of joy? And she says, knowledge and understanding. And for us, if we're going to be, if we're going to, if, if we're going to step into awakening, if, if God is going to awaken us, then it's going to look like this. It's going to look like these attributes. And for most of us, we're stuck in foolishness and ignorance and, and uh, darkness. And God is calling us into the light. And when Daniel walks into the darkness, they notice the light. And so Daniel comes in in verse 13, and he's brought before the king, and the king says, oh, you're that Daniel. You're one of the exiles from Judah. So the queen, didn't, the queen mother, she didn't have to tell Daniel, who Dan, or she didn't have to tell Belshazzar who, who Daniel was. He knew. We see here certain clues in here that, that Belshazzar had this disdain for the people of God. And we see that at the beginning, he, they're just drinking out of the, the vessels. We see here, he says to Daniel, well, if you're able to do this, or I've heard that you have the spirit of the gods, and he, he takes out holy. So whereas the queen mother, she said, spirit of the holy gods, and Nebuchadnezzar said, spirit of the holy gods, he intentionally takes out, whole, he takes out that word holy. He's just spirit of, of the gods. And so he has this, this uh, there's just this disdain he has for the people of God. And that's the darkness. 
And that's our city. And for us who, who follow Jesus, we're going to experience this. We're going to experience this, this harsh environment. Guys, we don't, you sh- if you're a follower of Jesus, you should not expect your life to be easy. You should expect it to be hard. You should expect it to be harsh and hostile and, and difficult and, and different from the rest of the world. Uh, Missy and I had someone ask us this past week, because um, we came out of a, the, before we moved here, we were in a, in a church environment that was really, the church environment itself was really harsh and hostile and, and hard. And they, and they asked us, what's, what's the difference from that season of life where it was hard and this season of life where it's been hard? Because our, our time in Toronto, five years, it's been the hardest time of our life, of our marriage, of our, of our raising our kids and our relationship. And it's been the hardest um, but it's been the best. It's been the most fruitful. It's been the most glorious. It's been the most amazing. It's, it's, it's yeah, I don't, I, I don't have enough superlatives to keep on going. Um, and he, he asked us, well, what's the difference between those seasons? And, uh, and the difference is we know that we know where God's called us, and we know that we've stepped into awakening, and we've taken a huge risk of faith in doing that. And this is what Daniel does. He steps into the darkness as, uh, as the light of God, and, and, uh, and then the king, king gives him a promise, the same promise. He says, I'll make you the third ruler if you can do this, and I'm going to clothe you with purple. I'm going to give you a chain of gold. And look what Daniel says in verse 17. He says, let your gifts be for yourself. He says, give your rewards to another. It's, it's very harsh of Daniel to say this. There's no pleasantries, right? Even the queen mother, when she comes into the king's presence, she says, oh, king, live forever. Like the, the formal, um, normal salutation. Oh, king, live forever. Daniel doesn't say anything like that. He's like, keep your gifts. He's like, I don't need that. I don't want that. And when I first, when I, when I, when I read this this week, I thought, I thought, man, that's, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of, that's kind of crazy. Like, why wouldn't he accept these gifts? Like, he could have so much more influence as a third, as a third uh, ruler in the kingdom. He has so much more influence in, in bringing the kingdom to God. And as I thought about it. And, and prayed over it, I, I thought, so often we yearn for the things of the world. We yearn for things like this. We, we're like, God, give us this influence. Give us high positions of power and authority. Give us wealth. Give us money. Give us these things. If only I was financially stable. If only I, I, was, at, or I was promoted in my job. If only I had uh, this influence then God, I would use it for your glory and things would be so much better. And Daniel's, Daniel's standing here and he's like, no, I don't want any of that. I don't need any of that. And I thought, when has God ever needed things crafted by human hands for his glory? And so often we veil our own selfish desire with a desire to, glory, to glorify God when it's just our selfish desire. And God knows, no. If you were financially secure, if you were in that place of influence, if you were in that position of power, of authority, if you did get that promotion, you would not glorify me. 
You would be you in a worse position, and you'd make me look worse. And Daniel's so humble, and he says, I don't need any of that. I don't want any of that because it's coming from you, and I'm only going to take what comes from God. And God doesn't need those things to have power and influence and authority. That is not how the kingdom of God works. And then Daniel steps forward, takes a huge risk of faith, and he says, yeah, I'll read you the writing. But then he doesn't read him the writing right away. He, he talks to him about how he's a failure, basically. He says, you should have learned from Nebuchadnezzar. He says, you should have learned. You saw this example, and you're doing the exact same thing he did 30 years earlier, and now you're doing the same thing. And he recounts a story for him. And he says, down to verse 22, he says, And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. And that's why I point out earlier that Belshazzar knows who Daniel is. He's like, oh, you're that Daniel. Yeah, he knows who he is. He doesn't need the queen to tell him who he is. And he says, you have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. And verse 23 but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. That's, that's Antichrist language. That's, that's used of the Antichrist later. He's lifted himself up against the Lord of heaven. I'm not saying the Belshazzar is that guy. I'm just saying that's how bad it is. That's how serious this is. And you use the vessels. They're brought before you. Use them. Your lords, your wives, your concubines. You all drunk wine from them. And you've praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, do not hear, do not know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. That's such a powerful statement. The God in whose hand is your very breath, the very breath that you breathe, you've not honored. And then Daniel talks about what it means. It's, it's a few different words. He, he talks about it. And it's kind of weird. I don't know. Verse 24 says, then from his presence the hand was sent. I'm like, was the hand there the whole time? Like they were talking? Like this whole passage? Like it appeared and then was it just like waiting there? That's kind of weird. Like, so the hand, the hand leaves. <laughs> just like walks away like that, I guess. Um, and... And Daniel says, basically, your kingdom is, is gone. Like, it's going to be divided. It's going to be given to the Persians. Belshazzar still honors his promise. He makes Daniel a third ruler. He dresses him up and gives him that gold chain and stuff. And then it says in verse 30, that very night Belshazzar was killed. Persia overtook the city. We know this from historical accounts, that Persia conquered the city that night, they took over Babylon. Darius, um, the, the king there, now, now receives the kingdom at about 62 years old. Like I said, there's six different times that the author here mentions that Belshazzar is the son of Nebuchadnezzar, or that Nebuchadnezzar is his father, I should say. That's how it's worded, which is not a normal wording in historical literature. It would say Belshazzar is his son, not Nebuchadnezzar was his father. So uh, what the author's trying to do here is create a, a theological, spiritual, scriptural juxtaposition, a contrast between chapter 4 and chapter 5 that Nebuchadnezzar was awakened 
and and he ended up and he ended up saying yes, like I I recognize God, and Belshazzar did not, and and he dies. We have here um, uh, two chapters account of someone who's opened themselves up to awakening and someone who's closed themselves off to awakening. And so for us, for you as an individual, for us as a church, how do we do that? How do we open ourselves up to awakening? How do we close ourselves off to, to apathy? And I just want to give you three things this morning. One, <clears throat> you recognize God's presence constantly. This is Daniel saying, the God who gives you breath, whose every breath he's giving you right now, that's the God that we serve. That's the God we worship. And, and that's saying that God is with us all the time. He's constantly present. So how do we do that? I'm going to give you a couple of practical examples of, how, of examples of how I do it. So I have a lot of meetings during the week, probably too many meetings, um, but I have a lot of meetings, and I try to make it a practice of before I step into a meeting or go into one, taking some time to say, God, uh, this is for you, your glory, God, you show me what you want out of this meeting. And then after the meeting, I try to make a practice of saying, God, what did you speak? What did you, what did you want me to hear? And, and so it's just, it's just a practice that I do that says, this isn't just a random meeting. This is actually God-ordained, and God has done this for a certain reason, and I'm going to learn something and grow something. I'm going to be more like Jesus out of this. God, so what do you want me to hear? What, what do you want? Another practical thing, you guys probably... You're, we're always reading, right? We're reading, we're reading news, we're reading articles, we're reading books. Uh, most of you guys probably spend too much time reading Facebook and, and, and other things. But I try to make it a practice for everything that I read to say, God, what do you want to speak out of this? What truth is in here, God, that you want, that you want me to see, that you want to grow me out of? So that's just a practical way for you to say, okay, I'm recognizing God through the daily things that I do. Does that make sense? Yeah, so recognize God's presence constantly. Number two, you resolve to take risks of faith. We've talked about this throughout this whole series. Boldness is one of our values as a church, that we're always going to take risks of faith. And it may look like we don't have enough money, we don't have enough people, we don't have enough vision, we don't have enough resources, we don't have enough whatever. And here's the thing. If you want to do something for God and you want to see God move, then you have to do something God-sized, you have to do something that only God can do. You're not stepping out in faith if you can do it yourself. You have to, it has to look foolish. It has to look like, I don't know if we have enough. I don't know if we can do this. And Daniel does that and he says, I'm just going to step out and say, I don't want what you have, King. I trust in, in our Lord. I trust that he's called me to do this. So we have to resolve to take risks, risks of faith. And how do we do that? Right? How, how, do you, how do you do that as an individual? And again, this is something I say all the time, but I, I, it cannot be overemphasized. This is how I lead our family. This is how we lead our girls. This is how uh, we lead this church, that we're always going to say, God, we'll do whatever you want us to do and go wherever you want us to go. If you can actually say that honestly, genuinely, with open hands in your, in your life, then you're going to see God work. You're going to see God move. And it's not going to be easy Jesus never promised easy. Jesus' life, have you, compare your life to Jesus' life. Jesus, the Lord of the universe, had a pretty hard life. 
And why do we think sometimes that we're above our master, that we're above our Lord? He says, if it happened to me, it's going to happen to you. So when, if you want to say, and I say this as a regular prayer of mine, make me more like you, Jesus. I know what you're saying when you say that, but I encourage you to say that. But there's a lot that goes with that. So resolve to take risks of faith. Number three, you're, it's gone. There's no number three. No number three, you revoke the fear of others. And we see here that Daniel isn't scared of what the king is going to think. He's not scared of what those thousands of lords and, and queens and, and everyone else, what, what they're going to think. He just steps out in faith. Most of you are too worried about what your neighbor thinks, what your boss thinks, what your coworker thinks, what your husband thinks, what your boyfriend thinks, what your girlfriend thinks, what your spouse thinks, what your friends think, what your kids think of you, what, what everybody thinks of you, except what Jesus thinks of you. And when we were singing that song earlier, we, uh, where it says, my heart will sing no other name, I was so convicted because I was, I was thinking, what, what names does my heart actually sing? What names does your heart actually sing this morning? Who are you seeking approval from this morning? What, what, do you, what are you living your life for this morning? And the only way to combat, uh, to revoke the fear of others is just fall more in love with Jesus. And it's just to focus everything on Jesus. And Paul is all about this in the New Testament. Set your mind on things above, set your heart on things above. Think on things that are pure and just and, and praiseworthy and of excellence. Um, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, strength. All these, all these things to focus us on Christ Jesus. And as weird as this passage is, with the hand and the fingers, the hand of God and the fingers of God actually appear a lot in the scriptures. This, this is one of the creepiest versions. <laughs> but... We see the hand of God all throughout the scriptures. We see the fingers of God all throughout the scriptures. Think about Genesis 1. And God is, is forming things in creation. He's, he forms mankind. Actually, there's, there's three things or four things God forms in creation. We often say that. We often focus on the mankind aspect. But there's a few other things that he forms in creation. God is, God is working things with his hands. And the psalmist recognizes this. And Isaiah recognizes this, that God has, has formed creation in this way. Think about Noah and the ark. And, and each time we see the fingers of God or the hands of God, it's revealing to us. God is revealing something to us about uh, his power and our salvation and how he's here to rescue us. So now move to Genesis 7 and we see Noah and it says that, the, that God shut him in the ark. And you kind of get this picture of, of God's hand shutting them in the ark and saving them and rescuing them to start uh, to start a righteous generation because Noah is, is, is the only righteous one. And, and then into Exodus, we see the hand of God a few times. We see the exact phrase, the fingers of God, said by the wise men of Egypt when the plague of the gnats comes in and Pharaoh's like, hey, do this. And they're like, we can't do that. That's the finger of God. And we see God to begin to rescue his people out of slavery and oppression and start to bring them into uh, the promised land, into land, into rest, into his presence. And then, and then Israel's in the wilderness in Exodus chapter 33, and God's finger writes the Ten Commandments. 
And the finger of God writes the Ten Commandments on these two stone tablets. And it's to reveal to the people, not you need to do this or don't do this or don't do this or do this. It's to reveal to the people their need for a Savior. Because guess what, guys? We cannot do the Ten Commandments. We can't, we can't obey all of those. We're going to fail every time. And God is revealing to them that they need somebody else to mediate. They need a Savior. They need a Messiah. They need Jesus when he's going to come. They, and, and we're waiting for that, for that moment. And then Daniel 5, we have this instance. And like I said, this happened right before the night of Persia coming in. And when Persia comes in and conquers, that is actually the fulfillment of a biblical prophecy. Jeremiah prophesies that Israel is going to, or the people of Judah are going to be in exile for 70 years. Guess when Persia knocks on the door? That's 70 years. And they return to the land. And God is rescuing his people once again. And he's using the ways of the world to do it. And he's, and he's going to bring the people back into his land, his presence, and his rest. And then Jesus uses this term in, in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 11, I believe, uh, to talk about the kingdom of God. He says, they're he's casting out demons, and the Pharisees are accusing him. The religious people that day, they're accusing him, saying, you're casting out demons by the devil. You're using the devil's power to do it. And he says, and he points to it being the finger of God. And he says, if it's the finger of God, that means the kingdom of heaven is here. That means God has come to rescue us. That means God is pursuing you. That means God is going to do something amazing in front of you. And... And then we see God's hand again in John chapter 10, Jesus speaking again. And he says, if God has rescued you, if, he, if you are experiencing his salvation, if you indeed have been awakened to his love, his grace, his mercy, his goodness, you will never, ever, ever be snatched out of the Father's hand. It's impossible. And it shows us this beautiful, we have this beautiful picture of God rescuing his people and, and uh, this picture of salvation and the gospel in the fingers of God because of his power to awaken. And there's such, like, guys, the spirit has to awaken us, yes. The spirit has to do it. The scriptures have, have to work with the spirit and, and awaken our souls. But there's still some tilling we have to do in the soil of our own souls. And we're so consumed by those things. We're so consumed by the fear of others. We're so consumed. We're so apathetic. We're so consumed by our own issues, by our own sin. And we're not in love with Jesus. And, and we're, we're, we're just sleeping. And we're not awakened. And God wants awakening for you this morning. He's pursuing you this morning. And he wants you to wake up for his glory. But it has to start by saying, God, whatever you want, wherever you lead, and that's how this church is, and that's how we're going to lead this church. Let's pray. Father, I just want to say over us this morning, I don't know if everyone's quite there yet, but I want to say whatever you want us to do, God, wherever you want us to go, we want you to move. We want you to work. We sang earlier, we desire awakening from you, Holy Spirit. And I pray that we would mean that. And you'd show us what needs to be sacrificed. You'd show us what we need to step into. You'd show us how to take risks of faith. And God, it's not going to be easy. It's going to feel uneasy. It's going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to feel awkward. 
but we always want to be a people that steps forward in the midst of all that because we trust you and we love you and we want to hear from you. So show us what it means to be a people that is defined by light and understanding and wisdom and an excellent spirit. So when people come across our church, when people come across us, when we're out in our city, they would say there's something different because they recognize that there's something that your presence is with us, God, that your rest and your peace and your love and your joy are with us and they're overflowing out of us. So do that in us this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Make us more like you. We love you, Jesus, and pray all this in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.